I did everything right. I mean, not perfect, but come on, man. And I. You ever been at that place where you've done everything right? And then bad stuff is going on and you're wondering, okay, so did we do something wrong here? Did I miss something? Have I, is there something that, maybe it's the person I'm married to. Maybe they did something wrong and God's punishing, you know. You don't know, you don't know what it is and you're so frustrated wondering, God, I think I'm doing everything right here. I mean, I'm not perfect, but come on, man. Come on. If you've ever been in a place like that, there's some great hope for you and me today to discover that sometimes doing everything right means not that everything goes smoothly, but that you're going to have some bleh to have to deal with. Uh, Nehemiah uh, is a guy doing everything right and still has to deal with some opposition, some difficult things. In Nehemiah, uh, just a quick recap for those of you who weren't here last week, if if you ever miss a week, the, the video and the audio broadcast is available. You can always go back and get it. But Nehemiah is 800 miles away, the fortress of Susa, and he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are still not rebuilt. Ninety years before that, the Persian king had said, all right, you Jewish people can go back to Israel and rebuild your temple, rebuild your city. And all they got done was rebuild the city, rebuild the, the wall, excuse me. <laughs> They'd rebuilt the temple. Everything else had been just sitting there. And it had been sitting there now. By the time Nehemiah finds out about this, for 160 years, the walls of Jerusalem have been just piles of rubble. Guys, I'm talking like rocks as, as big as the whole sound booth area back there. I mean, not, we're not talking about blocks. We're talking about massive stuff in piles for 160 years. Think about 160 years ago where you were. No, just think about 160 years ago in terms of our country. Civil war. That's how long this is. Like your great, 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 great grandparents saw these walls all come down. But after a while, you just kind of go, what are we going to do about this? And Nehemiah goes, we've got to do something about it. And so you can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 1, chapter 2. He gets permission from the king to, to go back and... And rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, the tricky part about it is he's all excited about it, but Nehemiah is not an engineer. He's not not been, doesn't own doesn't work in the construction field. You know what he does? He's the guy that makes sure the king's food is good and makes sure the king doesn't get a, it's not going to kill the king if the king eats it. So he would sample the food, and then they would watch him. Okay, the king can eat now because Nehemiah didn't die. High-pressure job, but he's at a cush job. It's got a a great staff. And here's what you have to know about Nehemiah. He would have been probably, the king would have had four or five people that he trusted with all of his heart because what if my food taster isn't on the conspiracy? You'd have to know this guy cannot be bought. No matter what, he is loyal to me. He loves me. He'll take care of me. And so Nehemiah gets permission to go back there. He gets some of the king's provisions. We talked about last week the idea that he prayed about this. He planned, and in the meanwhile, he was productive in his current assignment, and God opened up these amazing doors, 
And now he's on his way back there. Look at uh, right before what Grant read today. Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, look verse 9. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. This is the guys who are supposed to supply him with everything he needs for this rebuilding project. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me because he knows Nehemiah doesn't have a clue what he's about to get into. King knows this, so he sends a whole security entourage to protect him. But when? I'd highlight, mark that in your Bibles. There's always a but. <laughs> but when Senbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And then he shows up there in Israel. It says, and for three days... He arrives there, he doesn't do anything, which you can understand that he's been on a long journey, he's got to get things situated and all that, but he doesn't wait around because in the church world, in the business world, with a big project, you know what we would do to it? Administrate the thing to death. Let's, let's put together a, I throw off my mouth a little bit, a committee, a, ta- a task force to study the problem, and they'll take two or three years to study it, and here's what they're going to tell us. They're going to tell us, oh, it's too big, you shouldn't do it, or they're going to say is, you should hire us to do the job for you because you can't do it yourself. Consultants, oftentimes, who've never actually worked on anything can always tell you how you should do the job better. Yeah, some of you work in the business world and know, yeah, they charge me thousands of dollars, and they're not even doing it. Anyway, so he's out there, and he decides after three days... It says that he goes out with just a few people, just him and a few people, to go out and see what he signed up for, to see the conditions yourself. Guys, some jobs in your life, some things in your family, some things in your school, some things in your factory, some things in your company, some things cannot be delegated. And if you're not careful, especially if you're at the top, it's very easy to go delegate that down. And let somebody, uh, just get me a report, go out and study it, because that's a lot of work that we get on mules and go ride around and see what's going on there. But he decides to go out and see for himself. This is not just humility, this is wisdom and humility married together to go. There's some things that can't be delegated. Some of this you have to go see it for yourself. Uh, And so he gets out there to see it for himself. It had been easy when he got there to go, God's called me to do this. I have the king's permission, the king's provisions. I've got, let's go and do it. And he goes, mm, before you hold the press conference, go figure out what you're actually signing up for. And so he goes out and does that. This would be good for any of you who lead anything. Uh, I was talking to a couple of people this week in my small group, people here in our community, in official capacities at different levels. And they're just talking about the fact that people get all, about how we should do and what we should do and how we should do it and they got elected to do this and we're going to go out and do it. Haven't talked to a teacher or a principal, haven't visited a school, so I haven't done any of that stuff. Just, ah, we're going to stand up and raise up. Maybe there's some good things you should do and stand up for, but before you get out there and go, ah, about what to do, what if you go see what's going on out there? It might be good to get out of your office and go down on the factory floor to the the call center and find out what people have to do. I remember, this would be good for some of you, the, well, those of you who are married today. Uh, if you're the one, if you're a person who, uh, you go off to work every day and your spouse stays home with the children or 
works and then manages the house. And you get home and you're frustrated. How come he doesn't that, that, that? Or how come she doesn't that, that, that? I go, how about one day this week you stay home all day long with those children? I did that one time. Not because our kids were all old by the time I married Denise. Because it's a long Anyway. One time I took care of some kids, some, some little kids. I go, put me out here in the wash behind the church out here digging ditches at 100 degree temperature. That is crazy hard work. So before you get out there and go meh, 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 about what they should do and how come they're not more this and this, go climb inside that world and feel what that feels like first. Get a taste of it. Get a, get a feel of it. And, and see, here's the deal. When you do that, then you've got the ability to go, I've seen it for myself. I haven't just read a report on it. Or I'm not just saying, well, here's what parents should do. Here's what, you know, whatever it should be. Um, write this down today. Investigation comes before proclamation. Whenever there's a big thing you're going to do in your family, in your company, in your classroom, go see it for yourself. Don't rely on what they are saying out there. And so he gathers these guys together after he has gone out and seen the report. And you go, you can see it in there. He will go, I go through this place and past this gate and all this kind of thing around the city. And he says, and there's one place the rubble was so bad, our pack animals could not get over it. You know, he tells us that. He goes, I have to get a sense of how I'm going to, this plan that I have in theory on paper right here, I've got it all sketched out here, ready to go, like, Oh, we're going to have to change some things here because this place right here is way bigger mess than these places over here. So he, he clarifies, makes some mid-course corrections to his plans. And then he's got this interesting thing he has to do because he has the king's permission, the king's provisions, the king's protection. He has all this stuff ready to go. But if he can't galvanize the people that are there to get behind this, there's a famous little saying that says the, the person who thinks he's leading and no one is following is taking a walk. <laughs> I mean, if he can't get these people to get, it doesn't matter how much money he has. It doesn't matter about all the crazy, sophisticated plans he has and all the provisions. It doesn't matter. And, and this is tricky because for 160 years, there's been five or six generations that have thought, well... This is the way it is. That, again, there's nothing we can do about it. It's too big of a project or somebody else should do it someday. And at some point, you know how this is. We talked about this a little bit last week. When you've got used to things just being eh or maybe even bad, you just get used to going, well, it's just the way it is. He's always going to be a tool. Or my boss or my company, it's never, ever going to turn around, never, ever going to get there, and he's got to somehow get them to see that God's called him to do it, but if he can't get them to, to see it, and so he doesn't make big proclamations, uh, he, he sits down with them, and this is important. Uh, sometimes it's going to take an outsider to come in and see things in a new way that we've just grown blind and deaf to. Uh, you guys have seen this. You've gone to some restaurants here around town. And you look at things that are just dirty and weird and gross. You go, does anybody see this here? You know, they don't, you know why they don't see it? It's just been that way for a long, 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 long time. You just you forget. This is why those of you who are newer here with us today, and gosh, there's a bunch of you that are, gosh, I think in the last, I don't even know what the numbers are today, but 
uh, like 15, 16 brand new families in the last three weeks here at Crosspoint. It's awesome. We love that that's happening here. But here's the deal. It's sometimes easy to think, well, we're the people that know what's going on here. We're Crosspoint. We got it figured out. Guys, we need, we need you, the new people here, to talk to us. Because we have grown blind and deaf to things. There's some things that we're doing here that we're going, we should stop doing that. Here, guys, just quick the thing here for me. So, uh, two or three times a year, when I'm not speaking here on a weekend, I will go to another church here in town or somewhere and visit it. And not to go be a pastor and find out what the cool churches are doing and all that, because we're the coolest church in town. I don't need to do that. <laughs> That's terrible, but it's true. Um, <laughs> um, but I more try to go, like, just be a dude here. Don't even, like, whether you're, just be a dude that moved to Temecula, you're looking for a church, and just be new here. And it's interesting all the time. There's been a couple times I've done that, and we came back, and that next week we went, we're going to stop that and that right now. Because we've grown so used to what it feels like to be an insider here, and how easy, we forget what that feels like to be a new person that goes, oh, would you please stop doing that? That's weird to me. There's enough stuff about Jesus and God in church that's just going to be weird because it's supposed to be weird. We don't want to add extra stuff to it. So uh, write this down here. This will be helpful for you in your, in your companies, in the, in, the, in the school settings you're in. Listen to new people and outsiders. Listen to them. Just because they haven't been there long enough to really know what's going on here. Because again, when you get to a place and you've been there a long time, it's really easy to go, well, what, are they, what could they possibly tell us? Because we got this thing figured out. Especially, look right at me, especially if what you're doing is fairly successful right now. Because then it's like, well, who needs them? No, we need you. The reason, it's just, we need you as a church. Listen to new people. Listen to outsiders' perspective. This is why groups are so important. You get in a group and you hear how somebody does things in their family and go, I never would have thought about that for disciplining my children or for whatever it might be, managing money, managing conflict. So get new perspectives out there. He says, we've got a problem. Let's do something about it. And I want you to see this. Mark this. I have this verse underlined in my Bible. Because he says, you know we have a mess on our hands. I think God's called us to do something about it. But before he says, let's go, verse 18. Then I told them, about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. He doesn't just walk in there and go, come on, let's go. He says, look, guys, here's some blueprints and plans. Here's, here's some, I've got provisions here. The king's, I've got, I've got wagon loads full of timber and, and stuff to, to rebuild and get things going here. So, so we, we, we got provision here. We, we got we got uh, the ability here to, to, to get this going. What he's telling them, there's already momentum. And guys, this is important. I'm not going to share the whole technical thing on this. Some of you have seen the podcasts and, and TED Talks on this. But most people are very suspicious of change and doing something new. Now, there's a few people that are more like, they love change than like the pioneer stuff. That's not most people. And if you come with a new idea to people and all you do is go, come on, God called me to do it, they're going to go, mm, yeah, no. They're just not going to. But if you can show them, hey, look what's already happened here. There's already progress that we've made. There's already momentum. Look, we already have, this is, um, 
Write this down. Motivation starts growing when provision is already flowing. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. Motivation is, will start growing when there's provision that's already flowing. And so one of the best examples you'll see on this is that show Shark Tank, right? You guys see Shark Tank? They get on there, and you guys have great ideas, right? And they have great slick presentations and all that. I don't watch it all the time anymore, but the times that I have watched it, the question that those people who are smart with money always ask, they don't care how great your idea is. They don't care how sophisticated your presentation is. You know what they care about? What have you done so far? What have you done so far? I go, well, if I'd done things so far, I wouldn't need your money, pal, but that's a different... But they go, look, we're not going to put lots of money behind this unless we've already seen there's already some progress that you've made. We've already sold this much. We've already distributed this kind of thing. And so they get behind that. Now, once in a while, there's an outlier. There's a thing like, oh, my God, we have to back this. This is such a game changer. But most of the time, people are looking to see some forward progress and some momentum already before they're willing to buy in with their time, their talent, their treasure, their energy, those kind of things. We've all, see, I've seen this a few times even here just as a, a pastor here at a church. Um, uh, several times we had to raise money for things here, to move into this building, to do some key things over the years. They call these capital campaigns, raising capital for a big project. And the experts, I didn't know anything about raising money. I kind of know how to yell at people <laughs> for 45 minutes a week. But, but raising, you know, if you have to raise half a million dollars or a million dollars or something like that, how, how do you do that? And went and talked to people who are smarter than I am about this. And they said, what you do is this. You never just go with the big, amazing idea and how we're going to reach people for Christ. Let's go a million dollars. He says, what you have to have is some money already in the bank. And said, look, I've already talked to five or six people here. We already have $100,000 already committed to this. When that happens, all people, sudden people go, oh, dang, okay. So they thought about this. This is not going to be just some wild dream that the pastor got because he had too much pizza the night before. No, no, he's thought about this, already taken some time to raise some dollars so there's full momentum. And then you get people to buy in when they can see that there's already progress being made. So it says they, I love this too. They said, replied at once, all right, God's good plan, and you got stuff behind this. Let's begin the good work. So they began, verse 19, but, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, I'd mark this in my Bible, the God of heaven help us succeed. We don't need your help, pal. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Guys, there is always a but. Sometimes you have all these plans, and then something happens where the bank decides to change their mind on something. These circumstances are changed. Sometimes, sometimes the but's not a what. Sometimes the but's a who. And you, you can just... Sometimes there's just difficult people in the midst of it. And in chapter 4 and chapter 6, we're going to look at not just the fact that opposition will sometimes be there, even when you're doing God's good work. Sometimes, um, sometimes it will, uh, 
it will be, you'll be doing great stuff and this, this will pop its head up. And we're going to look at in chapter 4 and 6 how this opposition escalates from just making fun of them and that stupid and dumb to like conspiracy theories and really trying to get people killed it. So I have to make all kinds of, we're going to look at how to respond to difficulty and opposition, even when you're doing everything right. Today, we just want you to see that sometimes, maybe write this down, uh, God's favor on me will mean opposition against me. God's favor on me will mean opposition against me. Now, again, this, this, this doesn't sell Jesus very well. Because the deal here is this. Um, I want God to bless my life so that things go smoothly for me, so that things get better for me. And I believe you follow Jesus and do life his way, he'll, he'll do some things in your marriage. He'll do some things in your family with your kids, your finances and all that. But if you are following Jesus so that your life goes smoothly, let me just tell you right now, you're in the wrong deal. You, sh- you follow Jesus, things are not going to get better for you everywhere. In many situations, things get worse. And Jesus promised this. He said, look at John 14, 15, and 16. He, he said, look, so it doesn't catch you off guard, and you don't freak out when it happens. You follow me, it's life, an abundant life, life to the full, and people are going to hate you because of it. They're going to come after you, they're going to come against you, and it's going to be difficult sometimes. And we sometimes think, well, I'm doing everything right, I'm just following God, I came to church, I became a, I did all, all this stuff, how come life is more difficult. I was talking to a couple here at church. They've, they're newer to our church, newer to faith and all this. We were chatting about this and she was saying, look, everything was kind of going okay in her life and all of a sudden we come to church and become Christians and all this stuff and like, what's going on here? And then she said she was talking with one of her friends who, simultaneous kind of journey of coming back to Christ, coming to God for the first time. And she said, this friend told me, yeah, but when you were just kind of just going with the flow and all that kind of stuff, No one bothered you. Now you're on somebody's radar. Here's what's going on, guys. When you you decide to follow Jesus with your life and and do do life his way, for the longest time you were just flowing downstream with all the other fists, just going downstream. And And everybody's great. Awesome, amazing, everything's going fantastic, life's going good maybe. Sometimes things are bad because we get into some messy, nasty stuff, but Really, nobody's really bothering you that much. When all of a sudden you come to Christ, you know what you start doing? Literally, you turn around, and now you're swimming upstream against the cultural flow. The values of the culture, the way culture behaves, believes, all that. So just the fact that you're against the flow now a little bit. So it's going to get a little more tricky for you. Some of you know that who work in the real world and all kinds of stuff going, it's just weird sometimes. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I was talking to a guy in our small group about this, like a question came up about something with his family, and he goes, like, I, I, would, I, I wasn't the one even asked about this. They asked me about it. And so I just kind of said, well, here's what I think. And then now they, you, it's crazy, like the persecution and opposition that happens. As you swim uh, now upstream against the flow, you're also going to bump into other fish that are going the opposite way. You're going to bump into people. It's just going to be difficult. Now, I'm led to say this right now. Because four or five of you need to hear this. Some of you need to quit trying to bump into other people. <laughs> Oops, yeah. <laughs> Some of you should stop trying to bump into people. Just, be, just live the life Jesus called. That'll be enough. 
And then we also, guys, the, the scripture teaches us very, 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 very clearly that, that we live in a world that we can see, taste, touch, feel, real people here, but there's also a spiritual world that we can't see of, of fallen angels. The Bible calls them demons. Satan and demons are real. Now, again, Hollywood movies have give, made them way more powerful than they really are. And they do all these crazy, bizarre stuff with it. I think that might be some truth, like, like, how, they, like how evil and terrible they are. I think Satan and demon have, demons have, have gone to school a little bit, and they've, they've grown and changed, and they're more covert. They're not as overt and attacking that kind of stuff. When you become a follower of Christ, from time to time, they're going to go, I'm coming after you, pal. You know why? Because you're a follower of Christ. I'm going to leave it. When you were not a follower of Christ, Satan and demons had nothing. They didn't need to do anything with you. You were on the highway to hell, and they were just going to escort you there. All of a sudden, you turn around. They are coming for you. This is spiritual attack that comes. Some of you are in the middle of some things like that right now. We're going to encourage you with our prayer team today uh, in a few minutes as we sing some songs together to go get prayer for that. Let people speak into your life and encourage you and pray for you, maybe about some of the difficult things that are going on. And I want to tell you, too, that sometimes we wonder, I'm doing everything right. How come things are going wrong? I thought if I followed God, I thought if it was in the center of God's will. That's the safest place to be. And I always go, well, I'm not so sure the Bible ever says that. Sometimes being right in the center of God's will means you're, you're, you're being targeted. There's, stu- there's stuff coming against you. And I want to tell you this. Luke 6, 26 says it this way. Jesus says, woe to you when, everything goes, when everything's going well for you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. So, a little bit of a warning thing here. If there's not some difficulty in your life, some trials, some people you have problems with from time to time, you might want to go, am I really living the Christian life that God's called me to? Or am I even a Christian yet? I go to church once and all that, but at some point, Jesus, Jesus said this. The one who dies, died and rose again. With all the authority, says, hey, if everybody thinks you're awesome, mm-mm. That should be a warning. That should be a little check engine light thing here out there to just be careful about that. And again, because, because we so uh, worship the, at, at, the, at the idol, at the shrine of acceptance, of, of affirmation and approval and pleasure. Guys, I, don't, I, I like it better when things go well for me, truthfully. I don't like people mad at me. I don't like people frustrated with me. I don't like counseling. Who wants that? Who wants any of that stuff? Jesus says sometimes, though, God's favor on you will mean opposition against you. And so you go against the flow, and so sometimes it will be difficult. The story will pick up next week as we look at now as the, as the work begins, go ahead and read chapter 3 this week. You know, it reads kind of funky and weird because it says, well, this guy built this part and this guy built this part and this team built that part. And the, so you just kind of read it, but it's powerful stuff in here to, to learn about how, how God does works through people. He doesn't just build the wall and go, bing, and it comes together. It's people put their, put their shoulders to the work and in, look at this, in 52 days. What had been laying there for 160 years in 52 days got rebuilt. 
in spite of opposition, in spite of difficulty, because people are unified around tasks. That's next week's message. I want to preach that one right now. Um, I love, though, that Nehemiah goes out and assesses where things are at. And it says in, in verse 17, I have this underlined, highlighted in my Bible, but now I said to them. You'll see this is the last little bit of the note sheet today. But now I said to them. I wonder what it is where you've had something put on your heart, your life, and it's time to take some action on something. And now you've talked to the people around you. And, and so what is that thing? What is that thing that God's calling you to step into? Whether it's your health, your finances, some things with your marriage. I was talking to some people this week that just, again, their marriage and the craziness and the difficulty. It's just blah, whatever. Simple things like, you know what we have to do? We have to purposely neglect, neglect our children a couple times uh, a month and get time with just us. Because if we're not careful, we will allow our kids to demolish our marriage. And in some cases, we're using our kids as an escape hatch to not really deal with stuff going on between us. Maybe some things there you have to do there to deal with some stuff that's going on. But we also want to chat. I want to chat with you today now as the pastor here at Cross Point Church for what's next for us. What's the, it's not so much a problem that we need to solve here. Like, it's not like the walls are demolished and it's like, oh, things are terrible and all that. Not crisis at all. It's, the little t- subtitle of the series here is Accomplishing Great Things for God. What's God calling us to here? And the next four weeks, I'm going to lay out for you the fourfold vision, the fourfold building blocks, the fourfold foundation, whatever you want to call it here. Uh, I'm not going to give you all four today. I'm going to give you the first one today. It's exciting right now where we're at as a church. Last year, we had close to 200 brand new families that came here and checked out Cross Point Church. It's exciting. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Of those 200, a bunch of you guys have stayed around. We think right now about 50 of you who were brand new to us last year have now said, "Now, no, we're in. We're regular attenders here. And guys, we want to see that kind of vibrancy and momentum keep growing. We want to see more and more people keep coming. Uh, we want to see our church continue to grow. And whenever that question comes up, the, the people ask, well, so you just want, you want a big church? And my answer is always, you bet. You bet want a big church. Because here's the deal, guys. A big church, and look, we could build a big church. <laughs> we, we have enough money in the bank. If we held monster truck rallies out in the wash out here every week, we have enough money. We could build a big church on our own. We wouldn't need God to do any of that. What's exciting about building a big church is that, that more people come and discover like the things that are really cool about us right now. We, we have some things that are awesome and amazing and cool here. Some things that are, think that we do really, really well here that I've just, those of you who are newer here to know what we're all about, that people tell us over and over again, and, and I've seen this happen with people who, who have been part of other churches who come here or who who came to our church for a while and then left for different reasons and have come back. You know what they say over and over again? Nobody quite gets how to do this friendship community thing. And that's not to call it, that's to say that we're better than every other church. This is not about that because there's a lot of great churches in the community and they're doing great work for the kingdom of God. We're not here to compare ourselves like we're better than everybody else. I'm just telling you here how exciting it would be for more people to come here and experience not just friendship because friendship is usually based on affinity, on having things in common, on people like where we bowl together 
or we play golf, or we brew beverages together. We have certain things in common. Yeah. <laughs> the Baptists are twitching in their seats right now. <laughs> you know what's crazy about community? Is that community's not friendship. Community goes beyond just people that are acquaintances and friends, and it's not even based, it's we have in, we have in common here is Jesus, because guys, we have some groups here, we have the, the small groups that are just got going again, if you're newer here, we have room for you, get in one, because you'll discover friendship and community there, and in some of these groups, you look at them and go, how in the world does that work? Because there's some people in there, like, there's no way that on affinity that would ever work because of political convictions, because of personal convictions about things like the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues, or a stance on alcohol, or a stance on wearing masks or vaccines. I mean, it's crazy, and yet people come together, and there's this beautiful dynamic that happens. It's not perfect. It can be a messy thing sometimes, but guys, how exciting would that be to have more and more people in our community who are, we know right now, who feel a sense of disconnection, who feel lost, who feel frustrated, who feel depressed and angry to come in and experience the life-giving guys. The people you surround yourself with will determine the, the quality of your life, for good or for bad. And to see people experience that in community, have more and more of all kinds of people discover that, have more and more people discover what it feels like to not just be part of people that just sit in a chair somewhere, but they join a team. And, and, and you're, you're part of a team where you serve somewhere and you volunteer, whether it's name tags or the tech team or in the band up here, whether it's out there making coffee, getting communion ready, whether it's back there working with our kids, with our students, all that kind of stuff, to see your time, your talent, your treasure, your passions, your abilities, be part of something, to see more and more people discover that where you're not just a consumer of religious goods and services but you're part of something. And you get to be part of something where there's momentum and vibrancy there. You go, this is exciting. I mean, we want more and more of you to experience that. Guys, we want more and more people to come here because the more and more people that come here, more and more people go from death to life. They get saved and discover a relationship with Jesus Christ and, 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 and see that. And we talk, Grant talked to you about this idea of baptism that's coming up where you get the, the next step of, of, of your faith after you become a Christian is to get baptized. So let me chat with you about that. We'd love to see more, a bunch of you get baptized on February 4th, 5th weekend. If you're a newer Christian, brand new at this, never been baptized, Jesus makes it very, very clear, you got to get baptized. Now, here's the crazy thing. People sometimes say, well, do you have to get baptized in order to become a Christian? The answer to that is absolutely not. But once you're a Christian, you just get baptized. And it's not like this is like some, well, should I or shouldn't I? It's like, well, duh, get baptized. It's just what you do. It's a symbol. And it's not a symbol of, I got to get all the dirt off of me and get all the uh, of the world off of me. No, no, it's not that. Religion can do that just fine. Religion can take care of the behavior stuff and get you all washed up and cleaned up on the outside. You don't need a bath. You need a resurrection because you're dead in your sin. And that's what the symbol of baptism is all about. It's you go under that water, symbolizing the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus coming out, the same thing happens to your soul. You become a follower of Christ. So whether you're a new Christian, been a Christian a while, you've never been baptized, get that connection card out right now and jot us a note about that. Now, you might be going, I still got questions. I don't know. Go to the thing afterwards today. 
uh, with the kids. And again, I'm telling you, even if you're an adult, because sometimes, all the time, adults can sometimes explain things and just overcomplicate it. When you have to explain it to a fourth and fifth grader, they just simplify it so much better. So I'd encourage you, go back there. Just show up there. Let them talk to you about what it means to get baptized. If you have questions about that or thinking, I think I maybe want to or should, but I still have stuff about that I don't know, let us know about that on the connection card. I got questions about baptism, and we'll uh, contact you this week. The reason one of the building blocks of vibrancy and momentum as a church is the second we start to say, well, we got enough. We got enough. You know what happens to that church? Instead of being outwardly focused, we all get inwardly focused, and it becomes dysfunctional. It becomes gross. It becomes... So here's the deal. I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. And, and kindness and niceness is not a strength of mine, so I really have to work at this. If you're coming to a church and think, I, I hope this church just stays small, you're not going to like it here very much because we're never going to be, be satisfied with saying we're big enough. As long as there's people in our community who don't yet know Jesus, Christians who aren't connected to community, all that kind of stuff, we're going to keep saying the church needs to grow. Not to, so we could say in five years we have a growth plan to be 4,000 people. Guys, if we're 400 or 4,000, the results of that I could care less about. What's exciting about a growing church is momentum and vibrancy. And the second it stops growing because we just want to keep it just for us, it becomes disgusting and dysfunctional, and I'm out. You find somebody else to lead this joint. Our band's going to come up right now. We're going to have some fun, yeah. We're going to give you a chance today. Like I said, our prayer team is at the back of the house. Some of you need prayer today for something. Maybe it's some stuff in your heart and life. You've got opposition against you. You've got some things God lead, God's leading you to. You've got stuff there. Go back there and let them pray with you about that. Just introduce, and again, you guys, look at me. You're not going to get counseling. They're not going to sit there and go, well, do this and this and this. You know what they're going to do? They're going to talk out loud to, to Jesus about that situation. That's what prayer is, just talking out loud. So go back there, get prayer. Uh, we're also going to give you a chance to come and receive communion. And communion... Jesus made it very, very clear on the night before he was crucified, they were having the Passover, the, a meal together. And he said, guys, if you're not careful, you're going to be tempted to make this be about something that, about good things that aren't the core thing. So he says, here's the deal. What I'm about to do on the cross has to be the core central thing to what my kingdom is going to be about. What I accomplish in my death and resurrection. So he says, I want you to remember what I'm about to do on that cross. And what religion would do was give us all this crazy elaborate rituals to do, like do this and jump through this and say all these magic <laughs> prayers. Jesus goes, um, yeah, bread kind of looks like flesh and juice looks kind of like blood. Those two things. On a consistent basis, eat some bread drink some juice and in that remember that what it's all about what we're all about here what what your life will be will find so much beauty and meaning in is when your life stops being about you and it becomes all about Jesus and all about that cross and what he did for you and then guys I'm telling you today we're going to sing and I'm telling you we sang last night
And uh, I, we were half, not even half the number of people who blew the roof off the joint here with just the volume and the spirit and the vibrancy of this. So these songs we're going to sing today, sing them. And if you have a terrible voice, it doesn't matter. We got a good sound system. And whether or not you sing out loud with all your soul and heart, stay connected here to this. Because there's stuff that, still, that God still wants to do here. Just because I'm done yelling at you now, God the Spirit now has some work he wants to do. Because here at Crosspoint, here, here's why we do this. You, you come here together at the beginning and your attention is all over the place with kids and all this kind of stuff. And we take the first couple songs to get your attention right to here. And then we'd give a message out of the scriptures right here. And guys, what happens right now is right here, you and Jesus. So stay connected to this. So Jesus, today, by your spirit, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, I'm just trusting you to do that right here, right now.